easy in the nursery, right? <laughs> Sorry. If you have a Bible, <laughs> it's true. If you have a Bible, or Mark's Gospel, please. Mark chapter 8. It's page 714 in the church Bibles. 714 in the church Bibles, if that would be of some help to you. Before we get started, um, most of you know, but some of you don't. The reason why we're here this night, um, we're working through Mark's Gospel. We started last year, and we've um, been working through it verse by verse. Took a Christmas break and a few other things. So it kind of worked out good that the reason why we're here is this is where we're supposed to be. So in just a second or two, I'm going to begin reading from verse 31. And let me just welcome all of you again on this Good Friday. Okay, let's hear the word of the Lord. He, Jesus, then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Amen. Thanks be to God for his word, and may God give us understanding of it. Would, would you please pray with me? Father, may, may your written word this evening be our rule. May your Holy Spirit be our teacher. And may your greater glory be our supreme concern. As always, I am very, very weak. I am very, very sinful. But you are God. You are merciful. You are holy. And you are powerful. So we look to you alone in order that those before you now will hear and obey your voice. As your word is preached. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, on a night like this, in light of what we've just read, it seems to me of necessity that we recognize that the entire message of the Bible paints a picture of a sovereign, gracious God who is graciously pursuing his people. And his pursuit is not based on our merit, it is based on our need. Therefore, the entire ministry of Jesus, his whole mission, the reason why the Father sent the Son to die on a Roman cross, assumes that we are not capable, nor are we willing to restore our broken relationship with God, which was broken on account of our rebellion towards God. Consequently, the Bible says that our only hope is to depend entirely on God in his grace given in Jesus. 
So, yes, human beings can achieve amazing endeavors, but we cannot achieve salvation. That is only of God. It is a gift. It is all His grace. However, when His grace comes, one of the things we are granted is that we is what we did not have before, namely the capability and willingness to trust in God's forgiveness and follow God's son Jesus living hum- humbly under his rule. Because you see, when Jesus comes into a person's life, not religiously and not superstitiously, but when he comes into a person's life for real, he changes them. And part of that transformation is that we begin to follow the path that Jesus has given to us from his word, imperfectly sure, but still pressing on, empowered by the Holy Spirit with a new heart which realizes a life of undeserved grace is to be displayed in the path of self-denial, taking up your cross, and following Jesus Christ unashamed, all of which you can see there if your Bible is open in verses 34 and following. The Christian then follows Christ not to become right with God. Followers of Christ should not perform acts of service as a way to earn God's favor. No act of service could ever do that. No, we follow Christ not to be right with God, but because by grace we have been made right with God. And we love him. Therefore, in the same way, some of you will remember that we had to learn in our studies in Mark that Peter needed to have a miraculous intervention in order to understand and to be able to say that Jesus is the Christ. In the same way that happened, all people need a miraculous intervention from God if we have any hope of eternal life as a follower of Christ. Which, if you think of that, that, it ought to humble us deeply. Because if you really think about it, don't you wish at least one of the disciples would have been honest enough to say to Jesus after he laid down the, the incredible cost of true discipleship, don't you wish one of them would have said, oh, Jesus, we can't do this. There's no way. We, we, we need your help. We're going to have to have some mercy here. In the same way, you would have hoped that the Jewish scribe who asked Jesus the question, okay, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to him, okay, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Total physiological allegiance to God. And love your neighbor as yourself. And after he hears that, he tries to justify himself. The follow-up statement from the Jewish scribe is not, oh God, that's too much. Have mercy on me. No, what does he do? He says, okay, who's my neighbor? In other words, point him out so I can self-justify. And Jesus drops the bomb on him. Your sworn enemy is your neighbor. And then he proceeds to tell him the parable of the Good Samaritan. Not so that he could say, oh, okay, I can do that. No, you can't. The whole point of the parable is to help you see the need to cast yourself on the mercy of God if you would know eternal life. It's the same here in these verses. Therefore, loved ones, we need Christ. We need his death. We need his resurrection. And we need God's grace in his, if you would, miraculous intervention. For if we have none of these, no matter who you are, if you have none of those things, your position is absolutely hopeless. And even as we consider his call to discipleship, if it's something other than this, which we've come to believe, at least two things will happen. 
one, what you'll do is you'll replace amazing grace with kind of like artificial grace. In other words, okay, I'll get saved, maybe I'll get baptized, do some nice things on occasion, but you know, I'm going to continue to live my life under my own jurisdiction, under my own rule, with Jesus only there to protect me, advance me, but no way to completely rule over me. Or, and I actually think this is worse, I'm going to live the kind of life that you occasionally see described for us on t-shirts. Sometimes people wear at the gym, you know, the the thousand pound club or the 500 pound club and boasting about how strong they are. What a tremendous commitment they have to Jesus. So we have people walking in the church. I'm an 80 percenter. I'm an 85 percenter. I'm a 90 percenter of my life given over to Christ. Just look at me go. Why can't you catch up with me? Using the local church as your kind of personal punching bag. Or worse, using the local church as local theater. Look at me go. What's wrong with you? Why can't you go like me? Both are lies. It is all or it is nothing. It is all grace or it's nothing. It's all him or it's counterfeit. So please don't think that Jesus is telling us here tonight, try harder, dig deeper in your moral effort. No, Jesus came to set us free from our self-help and any unsuccessful effort we might have of human striving. So it wasn't too long ago that I was trying to download something on my iPhone, and as I was working through the steps, the following notice appeared. This is what it said. Terms and conditions have changed. You must read and agree to the new terms and new conditions in order to proceed, which was followed by 45 lovely pages of terms and conditions, none of which I read. So to my shame, I clicked the box, and about half a second, I received the lovely notice, welcome to Russia. No, I'm just kidding. It, it thanked me for the new terms and the new conditions, and off I went. Now, here's why I say this. In the verses we've just read, we find Jesus very clearly in just a few sentences laying down the terms and conditions of what it actually means and what it truly means to be a disciple of Jesus, to follow him, to be a Christian. The words are all interchangeable. And of course, while the terms and conditions of other things might change, the terms and conditions of following Jesus, they've never changed. They've never been revised. They've never been updated. They've never been canceled, at least not by him, which means they cannot be adapted to whatever particular preference we might have. They cannot be altered by our personal desires and even our personal plans, which means whatever our age and stage in life is, at this point in our pilgrimage, It has no bearing whatsoever on the terms and conditions Jesus has placed on what it means to be his disciple and follow him. Because becoming a follower of Jesus is not adding like, you know, an optional bonus to your already busy, filled up and planned out life. No, they are what they are. And if we refuse his word, if we wrongly align our life under a different jurisdiction and we remain that way, The serious part is that we will live in eternity without God, and the Bible calls that hell. So let's be very, very clear. Any ideas we might have about following Jesus, and you may have other ideas regardless, all our ideas have to be placed under the authority, under the jurisdiction of his own words. And to that same end, All our ideas must be placed under the line of the song we often sing here. All I have is Christ. And you know the line that says this? The strength to follow your commands could never come from me. 
The strength to follow your commands could never come from me, which is why I began the talk the way that I, that I did. Because otherwise, some of us might immediately go wrong and say, okay, this is what it means to be a Christian. I'm going to have to do something. And as a result of that, something happens. Then as a result of that, you better try your hardest. You better try really hard in order to be a Christian. <laughs> that is not it. That is, that is pharisaical. That is self-justification. And frankly, that'll make a person a bloody nuisance. <laughs> and it ruins churches. Loved ones, you have to know that we can only trust in Jesus in response to God's initiative and God's grace in our lives. Which means the same grace which brings us to faith in Christ is the same grace which sustains us and makes it possible for us to follow Christ. Therefore, the distinctive quality of a life that believes in Christ is a life that follows Christ. Can I say that again? The distinctive quality of a life that believes in Christ is in a life that follows Christ. And the strength to believe and the strength to follow are both found in God's grace alone. So that we would be humble towards others, boasting only in Christ. And if we're going to be honest, the need to repent daily becomes a daily need. Now, up until this point of the story, Jesus has answered three of the most important questions anyone will ever ask. The first question, verse 29, who's Jesus? And there's the answer. Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's God's son in chapter 1, God's anointed king. The second question is, okay, why has Jesus come or what has he come to do? And you'll see the answer is main and it's plain and it's verse 31 and ultimately it's the gospel. Jesus has come to suffer. He has come to be rejected. He has come to die. And three days later he will rise again and in this he's going to save his people from all their sins and he's going to put people right with God once and for all. It's the good news. The third question is where we're going to spend the remainder of our time is, okay, then what does it mean to follow Jesus? And essentially the answer is this. The pathway that Jesus walks is the pathway that you and I must walk. It's the pathway of the crucified Christ. It's the pathway of the conquering Christ. And I hope you feel the tension. It's a pathway which will go down the road of rejection, of self-denial, and yes, for some, even death. But it's the pathway that will in due course end in eternal glory and a crown. But the pathway begins in humiliation. It begins in self-denial and carrying your cross following Jesus. And you know and I know that that pathway, that truth, challenges any idea we may have that following Jesus means, you know what, only a few minor adjustments to our lifestyle or, you know, just be really, really nice and do nice things on occasion. In other words, they challenge what many contemporary views on what it means to be a Christian is. You know, brands of Christianity that are so trivial, intoxicated with human wisdom. So it begins with us, and we, we keep on the path that we like, and from time to time, you know, we grab Jesus by the collar and shake him over our troubles. I was thinking about this this week. I'm becoming more and more convinced that people have rejected Christianity not because they have examined it and found it untrue, but because they've met Christians and found it unbelievably trivial. 
and selfish. And some Christians just belligerent. Which is why we need to go back to the terms and conditions constantly. Now look how J.B. Phillips paraphrases verse 35. He says this, If anyone wants to follow in my footsteps, they must give up all rights to themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Now you want to say, give up all of my rights? I mean, do Americans give up rights? You think of the, the French chef who used to go, what is this? You know, is this in the Bible? Yeah, it's in the Bible. And what it means is this, and please listen carefully. It means our minds, our morals, our manners, our movements, and our money, and every age and stage of life are all brought under the control of Jesus. Listen to John Piper. This is what he says. The forces of American culture are almost all designed to build the opposite worldview into our minds. Maximize comfort, ease, and security. Avoid all choices that might bring discomfort, trouble, difficulty, pain, or suffering. Add this cultural force to our natural desire for immediate gratification and fleeting pleasures. And the combined power to under, undermine the superior satisfaction of the soul and the glory of God through suffering is huge. It's huge. So here are the main and plain responsibilities of following Jesus. And what I want you to notice is this requirement is not for just a select few. But it's for all and it's for any. Verse 34. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples. And he said, whoever... Whoever wants to be my disciple. So this is whoever. This isn't just for, you know, apostles and preachers. It's for everyone. So Jesus wasn't going to allow anyone to say, well, you know what? Hold up. I didn't check the self-denial box and I did not check the dying bit. I did sign up for forgiveness and I did sign up for you caring for me, but I didn't sign up for carrying the cross. Didn't check that box. Every so often, you'll run across a person who'll say, you know, I haven't totally surrendered everything to Jesus. Jesus would say, well, then you're not following me. You haven't read all the terms. You didn't read all the conditions. Because here are my conditions. Number one, you see it there. Verse 34, self-denial. If anyone would come after me, they must deny themselves. In other words, my life is no longer all about me. My life is no longer all about what I want. It's no longer about my identity, nor my agenda. And loved ones, again, that kind of radical transformation will only come about as a result of an infusion of power, God's power, outside of ourselves. The strength to follow your commands could never come from me is the realization needed so we can sing the rest of the song. And actually mean it. You know the rest of the song? So, Father, use my ransom life any way you choose. And let my song forever be. My only boast is you. I mean, when we sing that, I hope we mean it. Paul Tillich. He's dead, but this is what he said a long time ago. In a thousand different ways, every day, we want to make ourselves the center of the universe. That's natural. You just need to be human to go down that route. So Jesus here is not just given, you know, a few principles just to paste to ourselves. No, here in verse 35 are evidences of his life, which 
emerges out of our life, which by grace through faith means we've been united to the Lord Jesus Christ. And in that union with Christ, fruit begins to emerge. Leaves begin to show. Flowers, graces reveal themselves. So much so that people around us, they may be attracted to us. They may be angry with us. Maybe they're curious about us. But they ought to see Jesus in us. So it's one thing like the crowds. Remember the crowds, they marvel at the miracles of Jesus. They like his words. They like to hang out with him. But they don't like to follow him. Not that way. And Jesus gives them no soft option. This is not pick your Jesus plan. It is either all or it's nothing. The word translated deny in verse 34, as in deny yourself means to refuse yourself, disown yourself, ignore yourself. And again, it's natural to think it's all about me until by grace we begin to discover it's actually all about Christ. And you see, this is what it means, uh, verse 35, to lose our life, to gain life. Losing your life in the selfhood of Christ. Which means we've got to leave stuff behind. If we're going to follow Christ, we've got to leave stuff behind. And it doesn't mean, again, that you have to become a pastor or a missionary. That's foolish. That's silly. It doesn't mean that. It simply means this, to live in Christ and to follow Christ And if you would enjoy his energy working through you, that's what it means to be the perfect human. Because Jesus Christ laid the path down for us and what it means to be truly human. So in Jesus, our true self, whatever we do, begins to shine. And part of that shining is a life that denies the self and finds all their pleasures in Christ. I was thinking that if I was going to give this talk a title, one of the things or one of the titles I wanted to give it was the reason why you're so miserable. (laughs) Right? Because you're not denying yourself, Joe. (laughs) And you know, as you think about it, there is all the chance in the world. Some of us, you know, we've kind of played it safe. We haven't denied ourselves, but we've kind of disguised that Reality under the title of Christian conservatism, right? So we're not, we're just going to be conservative. We're not going to deny ourselves. We're not going to lose ourselves. We're just going to play it safe. In other words, that's a real sharp contrast to what Jesus says. It's not the same. It's not the same. So when I was doing my work, as you probably know, if, you, if you're part of West Cohasset, I, all these songs started coming into my head. And, and I started thinking of all the songs that have the line, it's my life, right? Jesus says, no, it's not your life. So I started thinking all the songs that says, it's my life. So the first one is the handsome Bon Jovi, right? It's my life. It's now or never. I ain't going to live forever. It's my life. Okay. Then the lovely Gwen Stefani, and she is beautiful, and she has that song, and actually I kind of like the song, but it's, (laughs) I didn't say I like Gwen Stefani, so why are you laughing there? Okay. (laughs) It's my life, don't you forget, you know, after that. And then, I'm sorry about this, kids, but the Lion King, 
Now, the song that he sings doesn't actually say it's my life, but you know the line. No one's saying do this. No one's saying be there. Free to do it all my way. Right? I just can't wait to be king. But the one song that I finally settled on was Billy Joel. And you know this song. At least I think you know this song. I don't need you to worry for me because I'm all right. I don't want you to tell me it's time to come home. I don't care what you say anymore. This is my life. Go ahead with your own life and leave me alone. And then, na 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 Now, why was that song such a hit? Because it was all about us. It's my life. We like that kind of stuff by nature. Don't you dare tell me how to live my life. That is man as man. That is the way we are. We don't need to learn that. We don't need to be trained to be that way. You'll never have to walk into a bookstore and say, yes, ma'am, can you please find me a book to help me be a lot more selfish in my marriage, to be an incredibly rude kid. I need some books that will help me find that. Uh, you know what? I want to ruin things. Can you find me a book so I can just ruin things? Right? I mean, you might find that kind of book under, what, self-fulfillment. <laughs> and that is why the call to discipleship from Jesus Christ is so incredibly radical in these days. Number one, self-denial. Number two, take up your cross. And I don't want you to confuse this with the things that people say, well, we all have our cross to bear. This is not that. Or during Lent, I will carry my cross for 40 days and I'm going to give up chocolate and I'm going to give up Coke, the real thing. I can still drink uh, Coke Zero, but I can't drink the real thing. That's not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is using a metaphor not from the Jewish world, but from the Roman world. And when the Jewish crowd people, with people in the crowds, would hear his words, they would have thought, that is the most brutal and horrible form of suffering and death ever known to man. And they would have been very familiar with the scene of some poor soul surrounded by troops of soldiers walking and carrying part of the mechanism of his own death across his shoulders. And that picture would have resonated with Jesus' listeners. And Jesus uses that picture to establish the conditions of discipleship. Right? So he doesn't say, carry flowers. No, it's what? Carry your cross. And they would realize when they would see that man with the beam across his back, they knew that he was headed into a direction. He was headed into a death by which there was no way back, right? No turning back. As the song says, no turning back. When I was in school, I learned that missionaries in the West in the 19th century, when they would be sent to hostile lands for the sake of the gospel, to advance the gospel, they would have all their possessions placed in a life-size pine box, And the reason why they would have all their possessions placed in that life-size pine box was because the chance of death was so high that they had their casket ready when they died. So their suitcase was their casket. It wasn't a suitcase. That's what Jesus is talking about. Goodbye, old life. It's over. It's done. Hello, death. And don't get sidetracked by the fact that most of us will not need uh, or maybe be called to pay the ultimate price. Don't, Don't rest in that because one, our life is not over yet. And two, while we may not meet death as a martyr for Jesus, 
Jesus is clear. We are to die in bits and pieces as a servant of Christ. And this is a slow and glorious death. Denying ourselves daily. Carrying the cross for the sake of the gospel. Just like our master. And what did our master say? That the student is not above who? The teacher. These are the conditions of discipleship. They do not change. The pathway to Christ is not like a Sunday stroll in the fields with your friends. But it's a pathway to death. By the time Paul writes of this in the epistle to the Romans, he says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of his grace. Remember that? In Romans 12, Offer yourself a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is what it truly means. This is what it really means to properly worship God. Right? That's what it truly means. To the Corinthian church, he writes, chapter 6, You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Glorify God in your body. Did you hear that? You are not your own. You are not your own. You're not your own. And that is one of the defining characteristics of what it means to be a Christian. So the conditions are clear. Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. The implications are clear as well. Verse 35 and following. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it? Now pay attention here. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? In other words, what Jesus is saying to the people, just do the math. Just do the math. If we are eternal, if we will live past death with or without God, and the Bible and our conscience tells us this is true, then what if you live your years on earth any way you like? Have it all. The whole world yours. You call all the shots. You deny yourself nothing. All the guys you want. All the girls you want. All the money you want. All the trips you want. All the cars you want. All the boats you want. All the leisure. All the drinks. All the calm days you want. All the fame you want. Local, national, global. All the sex you want. Or at least all the sex your money can buy. If you can have it all for now, 70, 80, maybe 90 years, if the cost of that is your eternal soul, is it really worth it? Is there any profit at all in that? Would you exchange 70 years of all that stuff for eternity with God? Just do the math. Our lives here on earth are a mere speck in light of eternity. And nothing on earth is more valuable than anything in heaven except one thing. A person's soul. Which Jesus says can be lost. History tells us that Agrippa, before he was king, he was sent to jail. He wanted Gaius to be Caesar. Gaius finally did become Caesar. And the first thing Gaius did was to get his friend Agrippa out of jail. He gave Agrippa a kingdom and a chain of gold, history says, heavier than the chain of iron which was on him in jail. Now you think that through. If that is what a mere man will do, 
Will not Christ richly reward all of us for our service? Of course he will. The Puritans would say he has the heart of the king and he has a purse of a king. So Jesus tells a story of a man who was digging in a field and he finds a treasure. He immediately covers it up, goes away, sells everything he has in order to buy the field and keep the treasure. Another gentleman is a merchant. He's searching for pearls. He finds a pearl of incalculable cost. He goes away. He liquidates every part of his assets to buy the pearl. What is Jesus speaking about? He's speaking about the kingdom of heaven. In other words, the kingdom of heaven, the lordship of Jesus Christ, is worth giving up everything for in light of the fact that you have an eternal soul which will be judged by the living God. There's a lady named Elizabeth Elliot. She was the wife of Jim Elliot. She wrote a lovely book. It's actually one of the first books I read in seminary, The Shadow of the Almighty, The Life and Testament of Jim Elliot. This is what she said in the book. Is the distinction between living for Christ and dying for him so great? Is not the second dying for him the logical conclusion of the first living for him? Do you kind of get the warning here? I mean, a person can be very, very religious, very, very committed to, to church things. They could be very good and have it, they could be very good at things having to do with now. But they're terrible with the things which have to do with eternity. They haven't seen a soul saved. Because they're ashamed of Jesus. They know people who they would never tell that they are a Christian. And they do their best to plan out a life with no rejection, no denial, no suffering, no cost, therefore no cross. So all their earthly accounts, perfect. But their, but their heavenly ledger is blank. Because they do not believe that all their riches, Colossians uh, 2, is found only in Christ. So they're like Herod. They're very busy doing many things. But their loyalty lay simply with themselves. And how serious is Jesus about this? Verse 38, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this unfaithful and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in the Father's glory with the holy angels Around him. So this is the judgment. Ashamed to be singled out. That's what the word means because they've misplaced their confidence and they've misplaced their support. They will be singled out on the last day with eternal realities laid upon them. So we need to end. Let's go back to my iPhone and let's imagine that Jesus sent us a message and it reads as follows My terms and conditions have not changed. You must read and agree to the conditions in Mark 8 in order to proceed. So the question you're going to have to ask yourself is, are, you, are we going to check the box? Well, you say, well, okay, yeah, I'll check the box. That's easy. No, it is not easy. Because by nature, we don't want to check any box unless it agrees to our own terms and our own conditions. So if you're here tonight and there is a willingness to say yes to Christ, That is only because of God's goodness and God's grace. And the same goodness and grace which enables you to click the box 
is the same goodness and grace which will enable you to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Christ, living under his charge and not your own. Whether it means life or death. So let's end this way. A true Christian is saved by grace alone. By faith alone. And this is a faith which is not alone. But a faith which lives for Christ alone. Just as he said. And so we make no judgments how, on how good or bad a person is at this. It's not our place. God will do that at the end. We simply on our own, we take up our own cross. We bow to the terms. We bow to the conditions that the master gives. And we deny ourselves. And we follow him. Hmm. Let's pray. Father, I know that there's no way anyone will believe this unless you do a work in their lives. That's clear. But may you help those of us who belong to you and those of us who don't. May we see the enormous penalty required for our sin. Remind us of the true depth of our depravity and and silence our boasting and grumbling hearts and make us trophies of your grace who boast only of Christ, who speak only of Christ, and who live only for Christ, enjoying your endless love and your amazing grace and your true victory in Christ alone. Amen.